Time travel, sci-fi adventures, and risky rolls of the dice lie ahead. Hello, and welcome to Anywhere But Now, a Doctor Who actual play podcast. I'm your host and GM, Casey Jones. The next hour or so holds a thrilling adventure in time and space, so let's dive in. With me is the wonderful crew of our time-traveling machine. Playing the fixer is the wonderful Brand Osorio. Hello, Brand. Hello. And joining him for their very first adventure is Maeve Sullivan, played by the terrific Kate McCoyne. Welcome, Kate. Let's go. Yay! <laughs> Are you guys excited? You feel that energy? Mm. Absolutely. Now, we play with the second edition of Cubicle 7's Doctor Who rulebooks. That means the dice are magic. Rolling double sixes bring extra bonuses, while rolling snake eyes spells disaster. House rules mean our players begin the game with five, count them, five story points each. So they're not empty-handed, but don't have an embarrassment of riches either. Get ready for a collaborative, immersive storytelling experience, because that's what I've been bringing to tables for over ten years. The name of the game is Doctor Who, but our show is Anywhere But Now. Instead of a legendary hero who's defeated the Daleks and the Cybermen hundreds of times, our intrepid fixer is still in his first incarnation, traveling the cosmos as a senior member in the doctoral program. What's that, you wonder? Roles, rules, and other tantalizing tidbits will be explained as we go. You're in good hands. This fine TARDIS crew have no idea what they're heading into. For today's adventure, they have not been told so much as the title of the mod. All they know is it takes place in Maeve's home time zone of New Key, Cornwall, 1890. A bigger on the inside thank you to our listeners. Time is truly a gift, or it wouldn't be the present. We thank you for spending yours with us. If you like what you hear, follow us on Twitter at anywherebutnow underscore at the end. Links to everything in the doobly-doo. Brought to you wherever you're listening in time and space, this is Anywhere But Now. open on Maeve's room above the fork and whistle. Maeve's room faces the eastern harbor and is bright with the morning light. The chatter of industrious fishermen, wagon drivers, and more can be heard below on their way to start their day. The humble room of a junior reporter for the Cork Street Chronicle. A tray with last night's dinner sits barely touched on the table by a notebook of cold leaves on missing persons. A list paired to a map on the wall, covered in marks of places Maeve's been in her investigations and gotten nowhere. Well-traveled local Maeve boots sit under the bed near a convenient loose floorboard for the concealing of treasures and mementos best forgotten. Maeve, you're in your room. It's the top of the day. What are you doing? I think Maeve is like probably late for something and like frantically trying to get herself together in order to leave the house, like putting her hair up, but she keeps missing like one little strand and eventually she's just like, okay, and just leaves it down. Gotcha. That's correct. You do have a appointment waiting with your boss downstairs. You typically start every workday with a quick meeting with him and you head downstairs into the pub proper. 
A cozy, dark little pub with a smoky film on the windows and a basket of fresh sheets waiting to go upstairs. The owner and operator, Rosie, smartly serves greasy breakfast to hungover workers and managers of local newspapers. The coffee is hot, the eggs are burnt, the toast will be up in a minute. You come down the stairs, this is going to be our first exciting roll of the day. Go ahead and give us, please, awareness and intuition with two of your dice. That's going to be an 11. So, an 11 is not quite a 12, which is what we would be looking for to uncover useful but not secret hidden facts, in which case you notice nothing out of the ordinary. Question, were any of the numbers on the dice a six or a one? Two and a four. All right, you managed not to trip over a basket of fresh laundry at the foot of the stairs on your way to the bar where Rosie is waiting with a plate of hot food. Yeah, so I uh, I take a seat at the bar and just start sipping on a cup of coffee and like picking at the food, but only barely touching it. Give me a presence and convince roll with Rosie polishing a cliche of a glass nearby. That's double threes. Twelve. Twelve. Okay, very good. Also on the house rolls, that in addition to snake eyes spelling certain disaster and boxcars, meaning it could not have gone better, double threes mean you have the averagest average to ever average. With a 12, Rosie smiles at you. Morning, love. Can't talk. Go to shipping in this morning. How'd you pass the night? Your boss is right over there. I apologize. Rosie is now Irish. <laughs> Good morning. Uh... Yeah, I should probably go say hello. I'm going to take the plate and coffee with me and go see about my boss. Yes, your boss is a not entirely pleasant smelling man hunched over steak and eggs and burnt toast as he's just trying to scrape the yolk up off of an iron plate with as little grease spattered on his suit as he can manage. Give us a presence and convince roll, please. 13. 13. To give you a bit of background on your editor, John Perry. John is not the nicest of people, but in 1890, his brusqueness is more or less par for the course. You have been trying to land a story for months since you got his attention in the first place of landing your official first front page story. And he has been thwarting you step by step every inch of the way. It's a miracle you were hired in the first place, as far as he's concerned, and every time you bring him something that could be a juicy story, he's like, nope, 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 nope. You said you rolled a 12 this morning? Yes. So yeah, he's he's not looking too cheerful with you when you sit down opposite him. Maeve, what'd you do, sleep in? Sleep in, not quite. Good morning. You're smelling wonderful this morning, really. Never smelled better. Trying to be funny. He's American. Stranger things have happened. Stranger things have (laughs) happened than American newspaper men ending up in Cornwall. He slides a slip of paper across the table with a timetable wagons to Bishop Rock. So yeah, I don't know what you've been wasting your time on, but uh, we've got renovations coming up on Bishop Rock. The mayor wants someone to look up on it. It should be a nice little puff piece for you. Renovations on Bishop Rock. This is what you have for me. I have a lead on missing people all over the city, and you're giving me renovation? Give me another presence and convince roll. And we're going to throw on the distinction that you are an experienced reporter. You have developed or are developing a nose for news. So that is going to add two points to your role as you try to persuade this person. 14. What are the numbers on the dice? Two and a four. 
You are currently just under what you would need to sway him. Do you want to spend a story point? Absolutely. Okay, for our listeners, unused two story points, they are a currency in the game that can help increase the success rate of a given roll. They cannot turn a disaster into a perfect result, but they can raise a disaster to at least a bare success. And story points will be earned throughout the game with further explanations, including roleplay. Squeaking by with a story point bump, Perry just sort of grumbles and pulls the lighthouse slip back under his palm just scratches his jaw pretending to think about it because he can't actually acquiesce to you without some kind of pushback otherwise he wouldn't be doing his job he gives you the nod that you've seen in the past it means i suppose it's the best you're gonna get out of him this morning on his first cup of coffee You have the tacit, if not the implicit, green light to look into disappearances. Give me an awareness roll as you get up and head for the the great outdoors. That's not great. That's a seven. Two and a one. Two and a one. Okay, that is going to bring you down a little bit. The light is too low, unfortunately, to see anything in here that is meaningful. And you stub a toe as you get up from the table. You are going to be at a minus one to coordination for the next 15 minutes of gameplay. Not the most auspicious start to your day. You get to the door and you push the door open just in time to see your friend Mitchell pulling a wagon up the street. He gives you a little nod on his two tired looking ponies and they start pulling a wagon cart away from the front of the pub. Meanwhile, across the street at the Darling Tea House, the smells of heaven emanate from the bakery behind the counter of a bustling tea shop. The scents of cinnamon, nutmeg, brown sugar, and toasting walnuts dance together on a warm, cozy crosswind of coffee and tea every time the front door opens. The shop is full and alive with customers getting breakfast and starting their day. The floor is spotless. The tables have humble but clean tablecloths. A small chalkboard on the wall features specials baked fresh that morning. A server delivers a pair of plates and a to-go box to a pair of gentlemen at a small table in the corner where somehow the din of the morning traffic doesn't quite reach. These gentlemen happen to be Time Lords. Dandies from the fourth dimension, these fine young looking men are enjoying breakfast before what promises to be an adventurous season abroad. The waitress delivers the two plates and the to-go box in front of you and your companion. Fixer, what are you wearing this morning? I'm currently wearing a uh, cerulean blue overcoat. Peeking out through the top of it, you can see that there's a a navy blue gambeson underneath that, and just the hint of a kilt coming out of the bottom of it. Wonderful. Sitting across from you is a ginger-haired Time Lord in a three-piece suit that is a darker plum purple with a paisley with Saturn rings and moons orbiting around the finer points of the paisley pattern. He lifts the coffee cup to his nose and deposits it with a smile next to the best walnut bread you've ever laid eyes on. And he politely thanks the waitress as she disappears behind the counter. Fixer, give me please an awareness and intuition roll, please. Absolutely. Okay, got a six and a two on the dice, so we're starting at an eight. 
And I have a 5 from the attributes and skills. So that's going to be bringing us up to a 13. Wonderful. It is a busy morning at a lovely little coffee shop. A pair of delivery men bring in a large flat crate as quietly as they dare hope, while Dorothy Darling bustles out from behind the counter to sort of sweep them a path through customers with her handkerchief, leading them behind the counter. It looks like they are delivering a mirror to replace the faded one that is currently behind the wall. Mrs. Darling recognizes the auditor. He's something of a regular. She just fusses with her handkerchief. But yeah, she's got no time for niceties this particular moment. Can't talk now, my pet. Go to ship and coming. Sorry, dear. And she just disappears, bustling with the gentleman. A lot of light is coming through the open windows on the east side, so the light is just coming right in. It is a warm, lovely morning. The auditor stirs a spoonful of sugar into his coffee and dollop of cream and takes a sip. So how is the cake? You know, it's the best I've ever had. I've been up and down this countryside back and forth across Lord knows how many decades, and there's just something about the way they toast the walnuts right before they go into the cake is just... Mm. He pats the to-go box that contains a good number of fresh slices of walnut cake for the road. Are you sure we're bringing enough? Well, that's up to you. He takes out a slip of paper the official announcement that you are starting your semester abroad. You have come up through the doctoral program on Gallifrey for a number of years. You have done well with your trips out and returns to Gallifrey, but the terms of the semester abroad are that you are just out. You do not go back to Gallifrey in the meantime unless they call for you. This is quite literally your semester abroad. It's nice to know we've earned their trust. I should say so. The auditor is just a little bit chuffed with pride. You know, it's no small feat coming through the second rendition of the doctoral program. You should be quite pleased with yourself. This is no Sunday walk we're going on. I know. But I feel like there's so many wonderful opportunities. When you say wonderful opportunities, there's a little shriek and a musical sting from behind the counter. The two men that are opening the crate are lifting it out. Dorothy gives the little squeak and she backs away from the mirror that the two gentlemen are trying to pull out of the thin crate filled with straw for packing. Give me an awareness roll, please. Absolutely. Just awareness by itself? Awareness, intuition, and feel the turn of the universe, see we play. So I got a two and a two on the roll. So starting at a four, we'll add a five to that from skills and attributes. And then extra, is it an extra two for the uh, turn of the universe? So that's going to bring us up to an 11. Okay. The 11 is not going to do it. Is it okay if I simply go and try to provide help to this person that seems to be in distress? Uh, you can get up, yes, and, and offer to help. From here, you can't see what they're squeaking about, the, but they are causing a little bit of commotion. You can go over and offer to help if you want. Yes, please. Darling, I, I heard you from across. Are you feeling okay? Is everything okay? She gives you a quick double take. It's Mrs. Darling, my boy, Mrs. Darling. You don't know me that well yet. And she fusses with the handkerchief in front of her nose like she's trying to waft away evil spirits or something. I don't know what to make of it. So yeah, give me another awareness roll with the intuition and feel the turn of the universe for me now that the gentlemen are out of your way. Uh, we actually come in at 11 on my side. 
Okay, yeah, an 11 once again is not going to tell you more than the bare minimum. Well, that's fair. I would like to be more per- focused on uh, how it's emotionally affecting this person who seemed very shook by that moment. That's fair. That is going to be a different role than looking at something. That'll be more present than convinced if you want to comfort Mrs. Darling. Yes, please. On the surface of the mirror, it's reflecting the room, but on the surface of the mirror, there appears to be a person, frozen, flat, while your reflection in the glass on either side of this person has its own depth and shadow. The image that is on the glassy surface of this mirror is frozen and completely flattened on the glass. It has been drained of color. It has been drained of life. It is a rictus of a man with his hands up in surprise. He appears to be wearing a work apron. Well, that's a mite terrifying. (laughs) Just a mite terrifying, yeah. The two men are holding the mirror. Mrs. Darling fusses and says, "Uh, put it down, put it down, put it down. One of the men holding it as he's sliding it back into the case just cries out and whips his hand away and the the mirror drops out of his hand and the other person just sets it down and backs away. The entire shop now has gone quiet. As the worker is just stunned and shaking out his hand, he grips his right hand at the wrist, looks at his, his thumb in complete shock and horror. I have to know what happened to his thumb. You get a little closer and he shows you his thumb. The thumbprint has been completely removed. The pad of his thumb has gone completely flat and smooth. While the springiness of your own thumb might have some give, his has been hardened and is now smooth as glass. Definitely like to take a quick glance at any shipping material that came with this uh, mirror. If the box is right there, we definitely want to look at that. Vanity glass is stenciled in black on the lid of the box. Vanity glass. Dorothy Darling is shaking her head while a waiter gets the beblanked thumbed workman a cup of tea to calm his nerves. Meanwhile, Maeve, you have left the fork and whistle. You make your way through the streets and eventually reach Vanity Glassworks. It is a large building with not many windows and is one of the larger industrial corners of New Key. They make glass here in a variety of sizes and means. They don't just do mirrors, although they do also do mirrors. They do plateware, glassware, you name it. At some point, they have fabricated it. So from here, you can see a hatch is open to the foundry floor. You could probably circle around the building to the shipping yards in the back. You know for a fact your boss is something of an inveterate name dropper. You would not be surprised at all if your boss, John Perry, was in fact on speaking terms, if not friends, with the owner of this place. So yeah, you can go to the foundry floor, you can go check out the office, you can go around back, you can do any number of things. What would you like to do first? I'll head through the foundry floor first, just to take a look around. Inside the Vanity Glassworks is the foundry floor. You step onto a wide open industrial floor. Hot, dangerous work is done here from dawn to dusk. Furnaces about the open floor burn brightly as silicate becomes molten glass and silver ingots liquefy to reflective perfection. Men in aprons, gloves, and goggles carefully pour silver over glass, as elsewhere, glassblowers turn molten glowing light into a variety of glassware. 
Small measures have been taken to ensure safety, but this is still a dangerous room to stand in. Tread carefully. Stairs lead away from the furnace floor to offices and storage on the stories above. It is hot in here, not warm. There will occasionally be environmental difficulties for characters, PCs, and NPCs to deal with. I am mentioning this not because any of our present PCs have vulnerabilities to heat, but just as a reminder that in the future, such obstacles may become present. Please, Maeve, give me an awareness and intuition roll, and throw on the two points for being an investigative journalist, please. That is double threes, but it comes out to a 15. The workers seem tense. They do not look thrilled to see you. Why is not immediately clear. It is punishingly hot in here for those not used to it. The good news is that they have not immediately drawn ranks or closed up or anything like that. And right now are simply giving you wary look because they have never seen you here before. Can I ask what in my research made me come here? A quick recap of the notes you've been taking in your off hours that were in your private room. There have been a number of unsolved missing persons reports in New Key over the last two weeks. There have been no signs of foul play. People have simply disappeared. From what you have been able to surmise, the people that have disappeared either worked at Vanity Glass or purchased something from them in the last fortnight. That is as far as you've gotten. Unfortunately, by the time that you have gotten to these places where someone has disappeared, someone had already come and collected the mirrors that were purchased if they were ordered. So right now what you've got is hearsay and interviews and your own records on a pinpointed map on a big board. It is worth mentioning, Mitchell, your friend that you passed on the way, Mitchell drives wagons, he's a wagoneer, for a number of businesses in the area, and you and he have traded pints long into the night, so he might be a name to drop here. Are there any, like, finished products that are coming off the line that I can just take a quick glance at as I walk by? Absolutely. It is molten glass, and it is just smooth, pristine, it's perfect. There are a number of visible slabs of mirror glass waiting to cool fully. And as I'm walking through this space, um, do I recognize anything that looks unusual about the process these people are going through? Does this look like just normal making a mirror processes? Give me an awareness and knowledge roll, because I don't believe Glassworks is anywhere on Kate's experiences as a, as a budding <laughs> reporter. It is not. It's going to be ingenuity plus knowledge. It's a 15. So... Despite having no experience whatsoever in glassworks, you do, however, recall enough stories second or third hand from Mitchell telling you about how long hours can just disappear as they carefully, carefully lay out and pour out the glass and then the sulfites and then the, the silver that is melted down and poured over it. As far as you can see with the 15, nothing you see here contradicts anything of the mundane descriptions. Although, as you are pushing deeper into the place without introducing yourself or like making any kind of explanations, you are starting to get looks from some of the workers. Okay, uh, has anybody approached me yet? That is a good question. As a matter of fact, yes, there has. The floor manager, rather beefy guy in a leather apron, pulls off a pair of goggles and flop sweat flies off his forehead. Help you. 
Ah, oh, hello, I'm Maeve Sullivan. I'm a journalist here with The Chronicle. Uh, I was just doing a report on a few unusual occurrences here, and I'm just looking to see if maybe I could look around and ask some questions. Give me a presence and convince roll, please. Absolutely. That is a 17. A uh, six and a five. Six and a five. Okay, that is a pass with a six. You're talking with this person. You notice that as soon as you mention that you're with a newspaper, a whole calculation of feelings and thoughts and oh craps pass over this guy's face before he quickly sags, not with defeat, but with relief. He grabs your forearm in a oh thank God kind of urgency and he looks around. The other men working here have all paused to watch him talk to you. This is a unified place. They all have the same concern. That was a very long way of telling you that, uh, yes, they have heard the unsettling rumors, not to mention some weird sounds from upstairs. Men that pour the glass and make the mirrors are not the same men that actually have to move it up on the elevator, which they consider a death trap because it's 1890, to storage out of the way, uh, nor are they the ones that move it back down from storage after everything's been filigreed and cooled off and everything to the shipping yard out back. Strange things are afoot, and no, they don't like it, and yes, there are weird-ass sounds upstairs. Cut to the streets of New Key. The fixer leaves Darling Tea Shop with the auditor in tow with his little box wrapped up in a string. And through the door, you can see that one of the waiters is now comforting Mrs. Darling. The mirror is being loaded back up onto the delivery cart by the two men. I do hope that Mrs. Darling feels better soon. She does look like this could affect her for many years. She'll be all right. She's a, she's a woman of intensely strong constitution. There was the time I came here after my final tests with the Atraxi. That was, that was an occasion. She's quite an incredible human being. Might I pick your brain as to anything you may have seen that could possibly explain this mirror situation? I'm, I'm looking around. I doubt they'd have the technology equivalent to handle that type of transference. I find it highly unlikely that anything with local technology could create such a phenomenon. Immediately brighten up. Big smile on my face. Ooh, well, let's look into this. Which way do you think that uh, glass factory is? He looks around, licks a finger, puts it in the wind. Right, December. It's that way. Head off that way. <laughs> and starts trundling off west. Cut to the fixer and the otter arriving outside of the glassworks. As mentioned before, the floor is open. We could probably make our way upstairs or around to the back. The options are yours. Oh, we should go right in the front door. But of course. Okay. Psychic paper at the ready. Oh, great. <laughs> As this woman standing here talking to the man that's uh, in charge of the place, the fixer walks up, breaks out this paper, making an introduction. Give me a presence and convince with a plus two for the psychic paper. Nice. Okay, we got a six and a six. Perfect timing for that. So that's gonna bring us up to 19 total. Double sixes is an excellent sign. You show up and the sun just hits you just right to like halo for the maximum charisma impact as you say, hello, I'm from Glass and Safety. Don't worry, we're here to fix your problem. So now what we gotta do is figure out if the floor manager 
is comfortable talking with government types as well as in front of a reporter, because I don't know how he feels about that. He feels fine with it. <laughs> he must truly be terrified <laughs> about what's going on here. He fills you in on the same unsettling rumors of disappearances that have circulated around. Everybody on the factory floor knows someone that is not here anymore. So yeah, they have tried to spend as little time in storage as possible because of these strange sounds on top of everything else. He does point out, scratching his cheek, that no one else has disappeared in storage since they shuttered the windows. Are all the people who have gone missing from this factory, are they all names that I've heard before or are there any that are new? First off, he doesn't spend too much time volunteering information, but as you wrote off one or two of the names of the missing people, he, he shakes his head and nods. Oh, okay. Later, if you could have like a list sent of anybody who's gone missing, I want to make sure we have a complete list for the story. Wonderful. Yeah, because of the sixes in play and the fact that you also made a good impression, he will absolutely do that. Kate, earn a story point for your first use of focus in the game that benefits you and plays to your strengths. Bully. So, you have this information from the Foundry floor manager. What do you find people do? Except the problem is upstairs. Your safety. Are you coming with me? The auditor raises a finger. And glass. Ah, yes, and glass. Is that a busy job? You'd be surprised how often we get called out into the field. For glass and safety. Mm -hmm. Well, glass is very sharp. The auditor gives the fixer a little nudge with an elbow. And who might you be, young lady? Maeve Sullivan. I work for the Chronicle. Reporter. Pleasure to meet you, Maeve. And what's your name? He is the auditor. And I'm just here to help out. Uh, you can just call me the fixer. He's being far too modest. Do you audit the safety and you fix the glass? They say in unison, yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, makes sense. So I suppose I'll just see where you go and then I'll write about it. Well, we do love transparency. You're a journalist? Yes, this is my first big story. Excellent. The auditor tiptoes towards the cooling glass to take a closer look. As he's uh, approaching the glass, and hopefully while everyone's eyes are on him, I'd like to uh, pull out my sonic stylus and begin doing a quick scan of the glass. Give me an ingenuity and let's call it technology since you're using the sonic. Do I notice this use of technology? Give me an awareness roll. So I rolled a six and a three. And uh, that's that'll start me at a nine, and looks like we're ending on a 15. You are entirely confident the mirror cooling in front of you is normal. That is a six and a one for an 11. Okay. The six and the one cancel each other out, and the 11 is not quite enough to notice something that is not the secret. You might have gotten distracted by the auditor for a hot second when he was getting closer to the glass and missed the fixer flashing and then pocketing his Sonic. Uh, so yeah, this glass is completely normal, if extremely hot. Well, looks like everything uh, is being assembled here properly. Perhaps we should check that storage. There may be some sort of, maybe a contaminant or something. Perhaps. Okay, give me an intuition roll. Give me uh, ingenuity and intuition as a reporter. Uh, 14. It seems odd to you if people are missing 
and two people from Glass and Safety say that Glass is completely normal. It occurs to you that something may have changed recently. What is the difference between the mirror here that's completely fine and the mirrors they're all tacitly avoiding? Is there some kind of formula that might have changed here recently? You ask that to the floor manager. He folds his arms, stiffens up a little bit. You've seen this act before with people who don't want to make someone else they report to angry. That kind of like, well, crap, now I have to tell somebody else. He tries to figure out how to phrase it. We had some uh, interesting ingots come through not long ago, about a half dozen, but uh, we didn't place the order. You'd have to talk to the boss upstairs. Interesting how. You say interesting how, and the entire factory floor falls silent. Not a one of them knows how to answer that question. Stairs lead up from the hot workroom below to an office, where storage is further on. A woman, Mrs. Clark, works busily at her desk. His assistant outside of his office straightens up as you clear the landing of the second floor. Help you? Turn towards the secretary, immediately pull out the uh, psychic paper again, flip it open. You know why we're here. Oh, oh, that's good. Okay, this is going to be the first use of advantage versus disadvantage. You are now at an advantage to get an answer out of uh, Mrs. Clark, the secretary for Mr. Bartholomew. You have caught her flat-footed with a piece of psychic paper that already reads glass and safety. So give me a presence and convince roll, plus two for the Sonic, and you're gonna roll with three dice, and you're gonna use the best two dice of the roll. He is gonna roll with three dice and use the worst two of the roll. Okay, so I got a uh, five, a two, and a three on the dice. So I'll move away that two and just use the five and the three. Excellent. Uh, so we got a 14 on that. Would have been actually a 16. I forgot the extra plus two. Yes, uh, you get a 16 and Mrs. Clark rolled a lovely snake eyes. Mr. Bartholomew is not in the office at the moment, but you will be at a plus two to speak with him when he returns. Away from the din and heat of the workers below, the office of Mr. Bartholomew is an organized affair. He keeps his desk orderly and his filing tidy. A view out his western windows show the grotty, bustling town below, with a view all the way to the coast and the lighthouse on a lonely rock. The secretary confesses that uh, Mr. Bartholomew's been at sixes and sevens for over a week. And with those snake eyes, yeah, she's not gonna stop you if you wanna go into the office and sniff around or if you wanna just go down to storage. You've done that dramatic sweeping through. We have every right to be here. Admirably so. Sweep right through into the office, close the door behind us as we begin looking around very obviously as if we're looking for information. That is really good. I'm gonna remember that. Next time I'm just gonna tell someone, you know why I'm here. <laughs> I'm gonna get really soberly sad for a moment and say, Everyone is carrying something that that will work on. And then just big smile and walk right into the room. <laughs> Fixer, add a story point, please, for you know why we're here. And yeah, I'm gonna just keep giving them out. Kate, for the line about, I'm gonna have to remember that for next time. That is very Maeve to me. So yes, add a story point. For the listeners at home, story points on our game start at five because they are useful and they the roof is at 10. So please keep track of the story points you have. And yeah, I was expecting that to be more articulate. So yeah, you have had no troubles talking past the secretary into Mr. Bartholomew's office. And the two of you give me an ingenuity and intuition role. Maeve. Go ahead and add the distinction of being a reporter. 
Hey, I'm on fire. I got a six and a two, so I'm starting at an eight, and that'll bring me all the way up to a 14. Great. I also got a six and a two. That is going to bring me up to a 17. Beautiful. So in the office, you managed to find not only payment history for silver ingots, the small metallic bars that are melted down and poured across glass. You find payment history for the silver ingots and shipping reports, wares that have left the building. Maeve? With your investigative background and the fact that you have the start of your own report going, deliveries that have gone out in the last two week window line up with the addresses of the places you've found reports of people going missing, as well as a drawer stuffed with letters, written complaints, customers from the family, from workers who have gone missing, basically sum up as, where is my husband? Where is my son? Where is my brother? Etc. See here, all these addresses that they've delivered to, all of these line up with missing people I've identified. Well, that's deeply concerning. Anything else in there, the value? Angry letters. Toss a couple on the desk. Start looking through. These poor families. This is just heartbreaking. The auditor is lingering at the door. He's gotten distracted. You know the look on someone's face when you think they might have heard a noise and they're trying to identify what the sound is? The auditor is near the door right now and doing a terrible job. Oh, can I ask you just a quick question? Was I also able to see the uh, shipping reports? Uh, sorry, the purchase reports for where they got that silver from? Yes, and we will circle back to that information. Absolutely. When you're looking through things, there's just a quick and you turn and the auditor is giving you the come here for a second finger. Fixer, give me an awareness roll with intuition and throw on feel the turn of the universe, please. Well, we got a three and a two to start us off. We're looking at a 12 at the moment. Would you like to add a story point to that? Yes, please. So something about this place is wrong. Something about this place is dimensionally wrong. The air is just a little too flat and it's only detectable to someone who has traveled through dimensions and would notice like, oh, this isn't air conditioning, this is a breeze off the coast, you know? Instead of visualizing and seeing a hill tapered downhill into the horizon, what your dimensional senses are telling you that the three-dimensional air filling the room you are currently in starts to go on a decline towards flatter and flatter molecules space not being filled down the hallway. Moth-eaten curtains let in slats of light stretching across a long, dark room. Flat crates packed with straw sit in orderly stacks about the floor. Dark shadows pool in the corners. A chalkboard of orders gathers dust on the wall as it hasn't been touched in days. Lamps line the wall, not currently used. An industrial elevator loads wares down to the wagon yard and up from the factory floor. The elevator comes up as you guys come in. A trio of workers start loading pallets into the room, avoiding the darkest corner of the room as much as possible. They are putting the wares that are going out sooner closer to on their way out again. It is clear that an entire corner of the room is currently just being avoided like the plague. Well, I know where we should go. 
<laughs> Give me an investigation roll. So this is going to be ingenuity plus intuition. That's double ones. Okay. Nice. It is too dark to see anything, yet you still manage to get um, a glint from through one of the slats directly in your eye. You are going to be at a minus one to awareness for 30 minutes, starting now. So that's Maeve off the bat. Looking around and going, ah, Are there any uh, light sources that are native to this time period around us? There are gas lamps on the wall. Grab one up. Start walking closer to the darkness with the lamp held aloft. They are fixed to the wall. They're gas lamps. I, I can't imagine you, you would, would not be able to sonic them on or light them manually if you wish to be more pragmatic as a localer. How many workers are in here, or is it just us and Maeve? The three workers, they're, they're busy unloading the work elevator, and they are also just sort of lingering to see what you do while you're here. Oh, they are definitely got eyes on us. Okay, I will manually light the lamps closest to that dark area. You switch on the nearest gas light and throw more shadows across the floor as you inch closer to the corner where there have just been mirrors out of their crates. They have been framed, but they have all been leaned against each other like books in a bookshelf against the wall. Fixer, please give me an awareness and ingenuity roll with feeling the turn of the universe, please. Rolled a four and a seven, a uh, total of uh... 16. A flat sheet of dread fills this place and it is coming from that corner. Have you ever had the privilege of being in a recording booth that has an excess of sound absorption padding on the walls? I don't believe I have the sensory input of walking from a room where air is circulating and you can hear wind outside to a room where there is nothing. Ah. As you inch closer to the stack of mirrors, as you get closer, this flatness seeps more and more into everything around you. You light the second lantern as you get closer, throwing more light into the room. And when you try to light the third, you realize it is just a flattened image pressed to the wall. That's a bad, bad sign. <laughs> Give me a knowledge check, please. We're going to be testing your Time Lord training. This is going to be Ingenuity plus Knowledge. Ooh, rolled a 5 and a 5, so I'm starting at a 10. And brings me up to a 16 before any additions. 16 is good enough to recall. I'll love to add a story point on this if it'll up it so we know for sure. Go ahead, uh, throw a story point on there. That will definitely kick you up a notch. What you're able to recall from your training is that there are, in fact, two-dimensional species in existence. None of them are native to the third dimension which you currently occupy. They have not been frequently found on Earth, let alone any other planets, but you have heard tell of two-dimensional creatures before causing trouble in places like London in the 21st century. The Doctor has dealt with two-dimensional monsters in the past. Between the flattened illustration, it looks like now, of the lantern on the wall and the frozen reflection flattened on the glass that's still being carted back to the place, yeah, you could very well be dealing with a two-dimensional creature, or more than one. My instinct tells me to find one of the mirrors that the workers didn't seem to be avoiding, place that between us and the pile of mirrors on the far side of the room, 
with, so the reflective surface is sort of pointing back at their reflection. Brilliant. Is that a possibility? That is absolutely a possibility. Give me quickly a scan check just to quickly verify, telling the difference between a mirror that's three-dimensional and a mirror that's got other issues. Oh, oh. that's a terrible roll. I'm just going to tell you right off the bat. It's it's two ones. With two ones, I'm afraid your, uh, your Sonic will spark and go dead um, when you're trying to scan one of the mirrors. So that did not go great. You have a smoking sparked sci-fi object in your hand that a person within spitting distance has now noticed you use and so yeah, she definitely noticed that. Uh, yeah, so what's that? This unfortunately is broken until I get it back to my workshop. Very intricate glass measuring equipment. The auditor pulls out a sonic compass, not the compass that points the direction, but a compass that is used to draw circles and make uh, mathematical calculations a little easier. And he hands it, eyes open, to the fixer. This is our last spare. Thank you. I will, I will try to be a little more careful. It's for what? Measuring glass? Why don't just use a ruler? Don't worry about it. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Another roll. Congratulations to the fixer. You are not the first Time Lord to beef it trying to scan something. It's a rite of passage. Yay. Well, this time I'd like to toss a story point on, and I have a three and a two. So starting at a five, plus a story point, and what am I adding to that? With the awareness and feel turn of the universe, you easily find a mirror the same width so that you can safely stand behind it looking at the topmost mirror stacked against the wall. Motion for Maeve to come over and stand next to me. Uh, you should probably be over here. This is this is uh, clearly a much better viewing point for the, the room, of course. Do I think that they're lying to me? <laughs> I'm not even trying to hide that <laughs> element. <laughs> what are you so worried about? Why are you standing behind a mirror? I like turn around to take a look at the ones he's trying to see like block with the mirror. Trust me, if I knew exactly what the problem was, we would have already fixed it. With the additional lamplight in the room. So these mirrors are not small. They are the kind that would be mounted in a restaurant behind the bar or in a bedroom, you know, to be mounted behind a dresser. So, you know, call it six feet wide, three feet tall. With the lamplight throwing more light in the corner. Hi, that's terrifying. That's horrifying. <laughs> Genuine reaction! Yay! <laughs> you are now looking at the Mirim. M-I-R-R-I-M. A not entirely static image of someone dressed in 1890s clothes is not entirely frozen on the surface of the mirror. With the lights being turned on, with you approaching the glass, like lift it, step forward, lift it, step forward. The head, if you can call it a head of this thing, is slowly shifting towards you until it can get its eyes to find yours. The mouth that is open does not change. It looks like it's screaming. And now it is looking at you. Maeve also screams. Great, yes. So <laughs> what we're going to do Please give me a fear factor roll. This is another first for our lovely intrepid players. Things can get pretty scary here and anywhere but now, including mirror monsters that creep right over the uncanny valley. So, 
What I would like you fine people to do is give me a resolve and ingenuity versus the resolve and presence of that scary MOFO. This role will determine if you can stay on your feet, if you back away in terror, if you keep your wits, etc. And screaming is just par for the course, so that's beautiful. Please give me resolve and ingenuity to stand up against this thing. I have an 18 with a uh, 6 and a 5 on the dice. 6 is wonderful news. Hang on to that number. Maeve. Go ahead and, uh, what was yours? That is a 5 and a 1 for a total of 14. 14 with a 1 on the dice, not super, okay. And this is going to be the resolve and presence of our creepy friend, Mr. Miram. Okay, that is a 16 total. At a 14 versus a 16, Maeve, at present, you are too scared to approach or engage. If you want to spend one story point, you can stand your feet and will be at minus two to interact with this thing. Or you can spend two story points, swallow your fear, and be okay with being around this thing, at least until it does something scarier. I am going to spend two story points. Okay. And I think Maeve is trying to remember that this is perhaps someone who's become trapped and like maybe trying to like not immediately jump to the conclusion that it's going to attack her. <laughs> Very good. You white knuckle the pencil and pad in your hand, but yeah, uh, you are able to stand your ground. The creature is looking at you both. Picture a still lake. And on top of that lake is a collection of pond scum in a condensed area. And without the rest of the surface looking like it moves at all, the film on the top can slosh back and forth on top of the glass. And that is what is apparently what is bespoke 1890s horror is doing. And you can almost hear a whine of glass straining against pressure from the other side. What do you find people do? What would I have learned about the Miram in uh, the doctoral program? Not to touch them. Okay. Communicating with them in the past has been somewhat fruitless, but these also don't necessarily look exactly like those. These could be cousins of that in some form. First thing I'd like to do is just uh, yell out to it. Why, hello there. You look like you're in a bit of distress. Are you trapped? Can we help you? The two of you, please give me a presence and convince. Got a 15 with a 6 and a 4. I also got a 15 with a 5 and a 4. Your attempts to communicate are frustrating. This creature is very simple. He's rather flat. Call it two-dimensional. Something very dangerous is in a state of emotional peak, and it is afraid. The body language, it's is demonstrating right now behind the glass is that of a cornered animal. And while you are focused on it, trying to communicate with it, the high hum whine of glass being pressured against picks up another one of the mirror in the second in line and the third one in line. They are all now making the same noise, that squeak of wet hands running and pressing against the glass. I run back behind the fixer. <laughs> With the scream that Maeve let out, the workers that were over by the elevator uh, have girded themselves as best they can. One is too afraid to get closer, and the other two, they just inch 
closer and are staying over by the wall watching. Like watching a car wreck watching or watching with like delight? This is a monster that has frightened them. I look at them and say, has this happened before? What happened last time? The workers, they've seen this before, right? That's what my intuition, that's my, my hunch at least. When did it start? Two weeks ago. Was there an event or something special? A new shipment, a new supplier? Think back to that supply order? You start flipping through the orders that you picked up off the desk as the loudest whine, the press against the glass, chips and cracks. A reflected silver hand spills its way out of the mirror and creeps along the wallpaper against the adjacent wall towards the nearest worker who trips and stumbles over himself trying to get the heck away from it as fast as he can. What are y'all doing? Look nearby him, see if there are any other uh, mirrors that, for example, he was close to that therefore would be safe to sort of try to... Oh no, I do, I have the uh, the auditor's uh, sonic. So I would like to use the auditor's sonic to try to either loosen whatever screws are actually holding the thing in place on one side or uh, you know pull it out so it sort of swings in between this approaching threat and that poor man. There are no mirrors that could block the line of sight. Uh, that's a great idea though. I love where your, where your head's at. You throw your arm around looking towards that corner and what you see is the chalkboard of shipment orders. The hand is stretching towards the chalkboard. Stretching towards the chalkboard? Huh. The man behind the fallen one starts shouting. <laughs> I've had enough! I've had enough of these, 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 these cursed things! That is his speaking in this round, and you see him reach for a wrench that is conveniently near a stack of boxes. It looks like he's going to try and at the mirror, although it is going to take him a second to actually attempt to do such a thing. We are entering our first conflicted round. So talkers go first, then movers trying to go from one place to another in the room, to doers trying to make something happen or stop something happening, to fighting. That is actual conflict. That's the grappling, that's the shooting, etc. We have Maeve, we have the auditor, we have the fixer, we have the worker on his feet, winding back with the wrench. Uh, do we have any talkers? Can, can I move and talk in the same turn or just one or the other? I'll allow it. Okay, so I want to move in front of the worker with the wrench and be like, he's screaming, he could need help, don't hurt it. Ooh, okay. Add a story point for that. That's Wunderbar. And give me a presence and convince roll to stop him, to reason with him. Seven plus six, so 13 with a four and a three. That is a tie. That is enough to like sort of get in his way, but you haven't talked him into dropping the wrench yet. I would like to position myself so it's easier for him to hit me with the wrench than it is the mirror. Like, I'm actively trying to block him. Fair. Fixer, do you have anything to say, to move, to do? So it did look like the hand wasn't reaching for the guy. It was reaching for the chalkboard with the uh, last orders on it? Yes, it is. But vis-a-vis his line of sight, he thought it was reaching for him. It could be reaching for him. You don't, you're not entirely sure. This thing is operating on, on two-dimensional logistics and is not actually reaching out from the wall at this juncture. Okay. Is there anything I notice on that chalkboard that might help us understand exactly what this creature is trying to inform us of? Not yet. No, it's just a chalkboard of orders that have not been updated any time in the last two weeks because people have been too afraid to get close to it. 
in all truth, I wonder if it's the worker trying to just get his job done and being horrified that he can't. But you said this is the Miram. Do the Miram in interact in that way? Do they take on the characteristics of those people that are trapped in the mirror? Uh, you don't know this. You've never seen this before. Oh, okay. The image it's taken, whether it's a coincidence or a choice, appears to be the reflection of someone that has disappeared. It is entirely likely it is the it was the reflection of someone that worked here. Say to him, if you need us to update the orders, we can update your orders. <laughs> yeah, that's a swing and a miss. Uh, that is not what you're actually trying to do. <laughs> okay, so that was a six on the dice for what the Miram is trying to do. Its hand stretches to the chalkboard and the dust that is currently coating the chalk flattens against the board and new cracks form in the dust patterns that spell out the words, help us. Immediately say, we, we will happily help you. The ELP of help us disappears and is replaced with how. Everyone is filled with great questions today. <laughs> Maeve, give me an intuition roll. Uh, awareness intuition roll. Ooh, that's not good. That is a 10 with a 2 and a 1. Can I give her one of my story points to help out with that? Yes, you can help out by adding a story point because the 10 with a 2 and 1 is not going to cut it. So while the fixer is trying to figure out how to talk to this thing with its affecting dust on a two-dimensional plane, his left hand drops to his side and it's still clutching silver orders. Kate pulls one that does not look anything like the others out of the sheath. An order of six ingots purchased from someone that is not their usual supplier at half the usual rate for what the ingots are worth. Uh, they got a good deal on silver. I Do I recognize the name at all? The name on the lip is that of Mr. Shine, who is currently residing at the Fork and Whistle. Fork and Whistle. I may have a lead for us. The chalkboard rains dust again, and the dust flattens against the chalkboard again, but the words materialize on the chalkboard. Trapped here. Sold here. Help us home. That is through the looking glass. Thank you so much for playing Anywhere But Now with us today. And finally, to our listeners, another great big thank you for sharing your precious time with us. If you feel it's been well spent, please share Anywhere But Now with your friends who are looking to enjoy themselves. Feel free to leave a like or a comment. Follow us on Twitter at AnywhereButNow underscore at the end. And wherever you get your podcasts. Links to everything in the doobly-doo. From all of us, I'm Casey Jones. Thank you so much, and have a great day.